0: Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. what's up everybody pastor aaron here i'm just want to say i am so glad that you are with us this morning welcome to simple church whether you're in our online campus you're watching on facebook listening on a podcast or you've you've uh, come across our content uh maybe because somebody shared it with you i don't know how you're watching it but i just want you to know we're so glad that you're here today and we pray that you are experiencing the presence of god and that man it is making a difference in your life and in your heart and your day for sure uh, today, we are going to be continuing in a series Uh, which is a book study it's unlike most of the series that we do um the majority of the series that that, that i usually teach on are usually topic driven uh, but a couple times a year we like to grab just a particular book of the bible and just go through it chapter by chapter line by line and uh, and share what what it is that that book has to say and so in this series in particular this six weeks we are talking about the book of galatians and um essentially what the what this is is the book of galatians is really just a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. The Bible calls these letters epistles, but they're really just letters because see the Apostle Paul, which just meant special messenger, it meant like that he was a church planner, not a pastor, Paul would go around in an area that is today known as modern Turkey, and he would plant churches. He would be there for a few years. He would build up the leadership of it and make sure that they understood how to continue growing the church, and then he would leave. And so these letters were written to him in response to reports that he would hear from people about how the churches are doing, letters that the church would send him. And so these letters contained, of course, instruction and correction, and they were intended to be read in public and passed around to all the other local churches that were in that area. And so in particular, this letter that we're going through is written to the letter, or excuse me, written to the church in Galatia. That's why it's called Galatians. And the situation that happened here is Paul planted the church in Galatia, just like he did all other churches that was there for a few years and moved on. And after he left, some Jewish Christians who didn't really have their theology and their doctrine formed correctly came along behind Paul, discovered that there was a Christian church there, and they began to insist that the Gentiles or the non-Jews Begin to follow the Jewish law because Jesus Himself was Jewish and they were Jewish and they believed well Christianity the the Messiah was given to us and therefore the rules and the laws that we follow must be taught to everyone as well and Paul didn't teach them that because Jesus didn't require that and so 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 these Jewish Christians came in and they insisted that parts of the the Old Testament law be followed specifically uh, the the issue of circumcision and that was very stressful to grown men because for the Jewish people, they were they were snipped or, or circumcised at age, uh, at, at eight days old. So eight days after they were born, they, they didn't remember it. They didn't feel it. But we got grown men that they're telling, hey, if you want to be in the membership of the Christian church, you've got to get circumcised. And for a lot of people, they were like, we're out. This doesn't make any sense. And some of them began to accept it. And Paul finds out what's happening. And he writes this letter to the church and he's obviously angry. He's upset. You can see his emotions and the way that he talks to him and and he addresses this incorrect mindset with a proper approach. And so here's where we've been. Uh, The first chapter in the book of Galatians talks about how the, the Galatian church rejected this freedom that they had in Christ, the, the freedom that they had because they had a relationship with Jesus and they took up the bondage of the Old Testament law or the rules. And, and, and so Paul was surprised. We talked about how surprised he was that they quickly rejected this freedom they had and accepted that it had nothing to do with Jesus. It had everything to do with what they did. It had everything to do with them following the rules and doing it all right. And, and, and what it it did was it, it created or it pointed out a fact that, that as Christians, we've got a branding issue, that there are two kinds of gospels that exist in this world. There's the good news and there's the fake news. <laughs> the good news is, is that through a relationship with Christ, we are made right and that we have freedom. But through the fake news, the fake news is is that, that, that it's really about religion. It's all about what we do in order to get to God. And this branding issue is why quite a few of you, I'd have to say, have grown up going to church every week because you had to, reading your Bible because you had to, praying and talking to God because you had to. But the thing about a relationship is, is that a relationship takes the things that we do religiously, our attempts to get to God, and a relationship shifts duty, the things that we do out of duty, and shifts them to a delight. And that only happens when we approach God through the right gospel. And so we talked about these two different things and how this really wasn't just an issue for the early church. This has been the issue of how we approach godliness since the very beginning. The second story in the book of Genesis, there was a story of creation, and the second story was the story of Adam and Eve, and how the, these two trees that existed in the Garden of Eden, one was a tree of life, and one was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were both approaches to how to be godly. And so we talked about what happens when you spend time in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and, and how, what happens when you spend time in the tree of life and how we get from one to the other. Week two. We talked about our tendency to swing between those two trees. Man, if you've been a Christian for any time period, you understand that we have the tendency to vacillate from religion to relationship, that we go back and forth. And so we talked about how do we stop swinging between the two trees? How do we how do we stop living in in a, a dead end approach to godliness how do we stay in that tree of life how do we stay in relationship and stop making it about us and our efforts well paul talks in, in galatians 2 about about being crucified with christ and he and he talks about what jesus introduced to his disciples and that that's that crucified life putting to death things that are within you that put you in the wrong tree that means putting to death death self uh, putting to death your passions and putting to death the world around you and its ways. And so that's the way we stay from swinging from, from the two trees. If you missed both of those mess- messages, please go back and listen to them. They cover Galatians 1 and Galatians 2. But today what we're going to do is we're going to jump into chapter 3. And, and what happens today is Paul backs up a little bit because Here he is talking to them, surprised that they, that they, they, they gave to the fake news, that they, that they took up this burden and that they, they were swinging back and forth between the two trees and, 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 and and really, living out a dead religion and not the life-giving relationship they were supposed to. So Paul backed up a little bit. He wanted to make it really, really clear and make sure that they understood the gospel clearly. So that's what we're going to pick up today in chapter 3. And uh, we're going to look right at Galatians 3, verses 1 through 3. And Paul starts off saying this, O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? Now, that word there in the Greek is translated evil spells. Probably not uh, the best translation for that. It really should be uh, more like an evil eye, like like who cast an evil eye on you? And and you know what this is like. If you grew up going to church at all uh, like I did, um, every now and then I would get the evil eye from my mom because of the way that I was behaving uh, during church. Uh, My brother and I actually sat on the front row and my mom sat directly behind us, and um, we didn't always see the evil eye, but we certainly felt it. We knew when, her, when she was burning a hole in the back of our heads because of the way that we were behaving, we would just start acting a fool on the front row, and my mom would just reach up and gently put her hand on my shoulder, and, and like I said, we may not have seen the evil eye, but she squeezed our shoulder ever so tightly. She just We knew, we knew that the way we were behaving was not right. And one time I remember that, that my brother and I were on the front row. And, and during worship, we would just get to swaying and just enjoying ourselves. And I just got to swaying and, and, and swerving like this. And my brother did too. And, and I got so lost in my own, own little world that, that I didn't notice that the music had stopped. I didn't notice that the pastor had told everybody, you may be seated. I didn't notice any of that. I had my eyes closed and I was just lost. I was a little kid, just lost, swaying. And I finally opened up my eyes. I realized something was wrong. And I look up and my pastor is leaning down over his podium at me. And he said, and you may be seated too. He had the evil eye on me, everybody. <laughs> So even if you didn't ever go to church, you you know somebody who's who's giving you the evil eye, right? Somebody who's put judgment on you because they don't think that you're doing it right. And what this amounts to in the Christian world is this is what religion is, is that they think that what they're doing is better than what you're doing, that, that they're doing it right and you're just not sufficient. You don't measure up and here we have religion. So Paul goes on to tell them that what's needed instead of religion, instead of some putting the evil eye on him he says for the meaning of jesus christ's death was made as clear to you as if you'd seen a picture of his death on the cross which meant that would make all the difference in the world seeing a picture right is worth a thousand words that he's saying this 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 Christ's death that's what you need not not this evil eye not this religion what you need to understand is this he said you you've seen it clearly let me ask you this one question Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Did you you receive the the gift of the Spirit by doing good works? Did you receive it by, by following every jot and tittle, they call it, of the law? Of course not, he answers. He said, you received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your Christian lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? That's a great question, Paul, because see, human effort is the opposite of the Christian life. Those who give you the evil eye, those who are looking at you and think their effort is better than yours, they're on some kind of religion. They're on a human effort and they think their human effort is better than yours and when they do give you the evil eye when they look down on you and just I can't I can't believe they're acting that way I can't believe they're not dressed up I can't believe they would come in here with all those tattoos I can't believe I know what they did last weekend and I can't believe and hmm they give you the evil eye and when they do what we do in response is we think we just have to be better So we up our efforts. We put more effort into our human effort. But that's not what the Christian life is all about. So let me take just a moment. Let me take a moment and do what Paul has done. I want to back up a little bit, and I want to make sure that you understand the gospel clearly. For those of you that are here at church today, because I understand we've all got a different experience, whether you grew up going to church, or maybe you went one time and you were shamed and you were mistreated when you walked through the doors, or maybe you've never gone to church before at all, and maybe the only thing you know about church is what you see on TV and in the movies or stories you've heard from your friends. Let me make the gospel message, the good news, very, very clear. You need to understand that you and I, each of us, were born with a condition. And this condition is a sin condition. What sin means is that we've missed the mark of God's best for our life. See, God is the one who created us. God has a plan for us. And in his word, he tells us what is best for us because he created us. He knows what's best for us. And when we live in any condition or in any way that is outside of God's best for us, we miss the mark. That is called sin. And so every single one of us was not only born with this condition, we're naturally good at sinning. We sin with ease. And some of you are are sitting here today and you're going, Aaron, that's not me. I'm not a sinner. All right, let me just ask you a question. Have you ever lied before? If you've ever lied, put it into the comments. Thumbs up. Yep, I've lied. If you've ever stolen before, give me a thumbs up in the comment section. If you've ever lusted after anyone, in your heart like man you just looked at them like "Mm, mm, mm." you had some thoughts took you different places give me a thumbs up in there or maybe you don't give me a thumbs up and just go yeah that was me you don't have to you don't have to, to out yourself here but if you've ever done any of those things that means you've lied you've stolen and you've as the as the bible says that if you've lusted after someone in your heart you've committed adultery with them that's the standard and that means you are a liar, that means you're a thief, and that means you're an adulterer. And I hate to tell you this, but that means you're a sinner. Because those are just, just three of the laws that are contained in the Ten Commandments. God's best verses: is don't lie, don't commit adultery, don't steal. Here's the thing. You don't have to break all of the laws in order to be a sinner. You just need to break one. And if you break one law, that's it you are a sinner just as if just like is if you murder one person you are a murderer romans 322 3 tells us that every single one of us are sinners and we have to start with that baseline where we agree every single one of us is at that place we are all sinners and as a result of our sin what happens is is that we fall short of the god's glory we fall short of his holiness and our sin that falling short Our sin is what essentially, let me say it this way, is what keeps us out of the presence of God. Because God is holy and perfect and we are not, we cannot coexist together. Now this creates a problem. And the problem is not just our own, it's God's problem as well. Because God desires to be with you. In fact, God created you with the purpose and intent of you to fellowship with him, to know him and to enjoy him all of your days. That's why we exist. And having this gap between us where he is pure and righteous and holy and we are not, we are the opposite of that. That gap, those two things keep us apart. Our sin separates us because God wants to not just be your God. You need to understand he desires to be your father. And that, my friends, is an intimate relationship that he desires with you our sin keeps us from doing doing that so how so how do we deal with it How how do we get to God how how do we do that because I know that inside each and every single one of us we have this desire to know him we have this desire to be with the one that created us but our sin requires that a wage be paid or that a penalty be paid so the only way we deal with our sin is the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. That, that, that for me to get to God in this life means my death. And not just a death here on this earth, but a death eternal. That the only way to actually pay for our sins is to spend eternity in separation from God. And there's nothing I can do on this earth. There's nothing you can do on this earth to pay it. But if you do choose to pay it, this is the conundrum, this is the dilemma that this payment requires. If you do pay it, it means that you're dead and you can't get to God. If you don't pay it, you can't get to God because you're a sinner. And so you and I, based on our efforts, we're stuck. All of mankind is stuck. And that's why God does what he does. (laughs) That's why God steps onto the scene and he sends Jesus into the courtroom of our life Though we have been declared guilty of our sins. Jesus steps in living a perfect and sinless life, being born fully God and fully man steps in and says, I'll pay their price. I'll pay their bill. You ever had that happen for you before? You ever been in a restaurant where you were just sitting there minding your own business and you were eating and you throw your hand up and you ask for your bill and the waiter comes by and says, Hey, uh, your, your bill's already been paid for. You're good to go. (laughs) <laughs> the first thing you do is you whip around and you look to see if there's somebody that you know. I've taken tours of the entire restaurant looking for somebody uh, that paid my bill before. Because honestly, it feels a little wrong, doesn't it? It feels like, well, I'm thankful but for that they paid it, but, but they didn't eat this. Also, if I had known they were gonna pay the bill, I would have brought my kids. Let me recommend the lobster for lunch today. You know, uh, but, so I'm thankful that they paid it, but, but it's not their bill. They didn't eat the food, I did, but they paid the bill for my actions, for my requests. And it's the same with Jesus. Jesus never sinned, we did, but he steps in to pay the price for us anyway. All we have to do, and this is the good news, is we have to choose to let the price that he paid matter for us. We have to choose to accept it. And see, that's why I don't believe that hell is a place that God sends people he's mad at. That's just not true. Hell is a place that each of us goes if we decide we want to pay the price for our own sins. Seems silly for us to do that. Seems silly for us to rely on our own effort to pay our own bill. And the truth is, even if we tried, we can't. You know, Galatians 3.10 tells us this, that all who rely on observing the law, in other words, doing it, doing the law, doing everything that it requires of us, are under a curse Now, that doesn't mean that God's put you under a curse. You're under a curse because you're going about it all wrong. You're going about it trying to honor the law, and the problem is is you just can't. You're not going to find salvation in it. You're not going to be better because you followed the law. You, You can force yourself and do it through an act of sheer will, but you're under a curse because you're robbing yourself of the very life that God has for you by trying to do everything that's in the law. It says, you're under a curse for it's written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue. That means that, that you didn't just do it right today, that you did it right every day and every day thereafter and every day in the past and every day in the future. Who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. It's impossible, my friends, to keep the law always. James 2.10 says it a little clearer. He says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I used to to abide by this by this part here, and I, I remember I was so zealous for doing everything right. My brother called me the golden child and Mister Goody Two Shoes, and you know I was convinced, like down to everything that I did that I could think of, that I was going to honor God by honoring even just the laws of the land. And so, you know, early on when the seatbelt law was put out, you know, there was, I had family members who weren't wearing their seatbelt and I would criticize, how can you call yourself a Christian and you don't wear your seatbelt and, and. When I drove through neighborhoods, man, I always honored the speed limit, and, and I even justified breaking the speed limit by saying, "Well, everybody else is doing this, and it's allowed. You're allowed to go five over or ten over or whatever I felt like at the day." And and but but I was I was always about everybody else following the law, and 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 I neglected to understand that even if I went over the speed limit one mile an hour, that that was breaking the law. That if I was really going to try to live this out, I was going to choke out. The life that I had, I tried my best and people were angry at me for a long time. It was very religious of me to act that way and very hypocritical as well. So so you said, what can we learn from these verses? Because if we just break the law at any point, we've broken the whole thing. So here's what we need to know. What you need to write down and note from the law is that the law just could not be obeyed. It couldn't, it couldn't and can't be obeyed specifically continually. You might be able to handle it in this moment. You might be able to handle it for a 24 hour period of time, but you will not be able to do it continually. No human effort will ever be enough to pay the price for your sins and ultimately make you more godly and get you into a relationship with God. That's just not going to happen. Obeying the law can't fix your sin nature. In fact, If you try to, what it's going to do is just frustrate you even more. And Paul, Paul, of course, knowing that the law wasn't the cure and couldn't be obeyed, he asked a really powerful question. He said, what then was the purpose of the law? Verse 19. See, if God knew it wouldn't work, why would God give us the law? Let me tell you why the law was given in the Old Testament. It was to reveal to us that we couldn't do it on our own. That ultimately what we needed was something more, something that was beyond us. So in verse 24, it picks up and says, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith, not by our works, not by what we do, but by faith. It says, now that faith has come, we're no longer under the supervision of the law. The law is not in charge of us anymore. So understand this, we couldn't obey the law and the law, the reason it exists is the law leads us to Christ, Because we can't keep the law, we needed to be freed from the law's penalty. And for that to happen, the price for our sins had to be paid. And that's why Jesus came along and he paid it. There's no approach to God that involves your efforts that will ever work. Hear me clearly. You must make a decision to turn to Jesus. You can't train yourself into good, or not goodliness, but godliness. You can't train yourself into godliness. You can't behave your way into heaven. It's just not possible. But if you'll turn in faith to Jesus, he'll do a work on the inside of you that frankly is just a miracle where the Bible describes it and says that if you put your faith in him, old things pass away. That means the old parts of you, that the sinful nature, it passes away. It dies. It gets crucified with Christ and all things become new. Let me just make it very clear because I think this is a branding issue as well, is that Christianity is not just about morality and behavior modification. Christianity is ultimately is about a transforming work that happens in our hearts that changes us and it ultimately will affect how we behave. Galatians 3.24 says the law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. See, that's the thing about Christianity that I love. Christianity doesn't ask for you to do anything right. It doesn't want you to do right. Christianity wants you made right. Let me say that again. Christianity doesn't want you to do right. It wants you made right with God by grace through faith. Grace. That's what each and every single one of us needs. That's why we have to understand our Christianity, we need to understand our faith and we need to experience God's grace. Sharon, what is grace? Well, grace is when we receive what we don't deserve. And that's what we received in Jesus. When Jesus came and paid the price for us, we received a free gift of salvation because that's what grace is. It gives us what we cannot what we don't deserve, what we can't earn on our own. It's a grace gift. Jesus paying the price for us was God's grace. So when you receive something through grace, let me tell you something, my friend, it changes you. That's why I want you to experience grace because grace transforms your very life. It transforms your very heart. I, as your pastor, I don't want to show up here every single week and offer you correction after correction and say, you can't behave this way. You have to behave this way. And if all I do is give you behavior modifications week after week, you're not going to stick around for very long. In fact, you're going to long for there to be even more days between Sundays because you don't want to be here. But if you experience grace, grace changes everything in you and it will change ultimately how you act in this life. So today, the last few minutes I've got, I want to help you understand grace. And I'm going to do it through uh, an acrostic that Pastor Rick Warren, who is the pastor of Saddleback Church out in, uh, I believe, California, uh, taught. It's beautiful. It's his, but it's simple to understand. And that's why I'm going to use it today. So the first thing you need to understand about grace is that grace is a free gift. So you can't earn Earn, earn, earn whatever is given to you through grace. It is a free gift. It's not, and it's not just a pass for you in this life uh, to act however you want to, right? It, it's not just a free pass to say, okay, well, you, you've got grace, so you can behave however you want. That That's not what it is. The, 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 the free gift is not just this forgiveness of sins. The gift that we receive by grace was the life of Christ. See, in order for sin to be paid for, blood had to be shed. And sin had to be paid for with a life. Don't miss this because I think we've heard this story of Jesus and his life a lot. I think that we that maybe you know maybe our Sunday school flannel graphs and and the the imagery that we use to teach kids or, or or what we've seen in art has maybe desensitized us a bit to the graphic nature that was Jesus's life. But Jesus lived a life of a nomad here on this earth. He had no bed, no place to lay his head, no roof, no home. He he traveled around. He ate when he could and when God provided. I mean he only had what God provided in that time. That's not a life that that you and I would say, man, that's a comfortable life. That that was a lifestyle that was constant like, hey, I'm trusting God with everything that I have here. And that's that's not an easy life to live. And then what Jesus faced in the end of his life. And the, and just before he would go on to die, he was brutally beaten, he was tortured. And this wasn't just a moment that he was tortured and tormented. He was tortured for hours and hours on end. Have you ever seen the movie The The Count of Monte Cristo? In that movie, the main character, Edmund Dantes, spares the life of Jacopo. Uh, he, he comes up upon, you know, he escapes from prison. It's a wonderful story. Uh, he escapes from prison and he winds up on this island and he runs across these pirates and 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 Jakopo's life is, is in danger and, and the pirates are gonna kill him, but instead they say to Edmund and to Jacopo, hey, maybe let's have some entertainment and you guys are gonna kill each other in a knife fight. Well, Edmund defeats Jacopo and 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 instead of killing him, spares his life. And in response, what happens is that Jacopo vows his life to him. Why? Well, because because he had spared his life, because he had given his life for him. He had exchanged something. He had given him that life. And a proper response when you find out that someone has paid a price for your life, that someone has done what Jesus has done, the proper response to find out that he substituted his life for us and he did it as a free gift, the only proper response is to give your life back to him. In Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, not only did Jesus go through hell for you and I, but, you know, broaden your picture here a little bit. So did God the Father. He had to watch his only begotten son go through all of that to be beaten, to be ridiculed, to be spit upon, to be punched, to, be, to have his flesh ripped from his back. Carrying his own instrument of torture to a place where he would be stripped naked and nailed his hands and his feet to it, wheezing and trying to breathe, tormented for hours. Can you imagine as a father being there and hearing your own son call out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I can't imagine how God felt in that in that moment. But as a father, I've I've had to watch as my own son has gone through some difficult things all my kids have One in particular my son Tyler was was uh he's a twin and there wasn't enough room in the womb and so Tyler was cramped and he was born with something called torticollis the the length of his muscles didn't form right and so his head was tilted to the side and we noticed it pretty early on how he always favored this side we would tilt his head this way and he would always go like this he would pull back to it. He didn't like it when we tried to move his head. Those muscles were too short and they needed to be lengthened. So we took him to a doctor and and they said, Here's some exercises you need to do. And and he hated them. He screamed and he cried and to the point that nobody really wanted to do these exercises with him. We felt terrible for what he was going through. But as he screamed and he cried, I cried too. And the only thing, the only thing I found any kind of consolation in as I prayed, is that I prayed as I was pulling his head and turning his neck, doing all the exercises with him because I wanted his head to grow properly because if we hadn't, his eyes would have shifted. And so if he ever would have held his head straight, his eyes would be off and his head would be misshapen. And and if if we wanted good things for him, he had to go through it. And as a father doing this was hard, watching my son be in pain. And I think God, the father, he must have struggled too, that I think everything inside of him, wanted to relieve his son, to take his place, but grace kept him. Jesus had to go through it. He had to go through all of that for you, for me, for all humanity. Grace is a free gift for you, but it costs Jesus everything. And because of what he's done, if you'll receive that grace, that free gift, it will change you on the inside. Second thing you need to know about grace is that uh, grace is received by faith. So, so this is an acrostic, right? So it's, it's, uh, the, the first part is, so it's G R A C E grace is a gift. There's the G part, right? And the next part is that grace is received. There's your R by faith. Now faith is not a belief in something. It's trust in something. Okay. So like, for example, I can see this table and I believe that this table exists. I, Faith is demonstrated, though, when, and when I put my trust in it by placing my Mac right here on it, trusting that it's not going to fall to the ground, trusting that it's going to hold and support it, that I'll be able to sit at this table. Faith, that's faith, right? See, belief isn't about whether something exists or not. Because you say, well, I believe in God, but that's not enough. The devil believes in Jesus, too, but he doesn't put his trust in him. And Christianity isn't belief that Jesus exists. It's choosing to trust him with your life, like I'm trusting the table with my laptop. It's choosing to place your life in his hands and say, Jesus, be Lord of my life. And that's how we receive that grace. We step across this line. We step across the space where maybe we don't understand it all, but we understand he's trustworthy. We understand that he's good. We understand what he's done for us. We understand that he's for us, has a desire to be with us. We understand he's the only way. And so I'm gonna step across that line of faith. And Jesus, I'm gonna trust you with my life. This is how we receive grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, not through your works. He says, And this is not from yourself, it's the gift of God. And here he goes on and says, not by works, so that no one can boast. It has nothing to do with you. Romans 4:16 says, People receive God's promise. By having faith, see we put our full trust in God and His ways. We we trust that His way is best. What He says for us, even though it may be contrary to what we desire for ourselves, that when we choose to trust His way and we choose to trust Him with all that we have, that is faith. Now this is there's some bad news uh, for those that are not all in yet, and and, and here's the bad news. Some of you want to experience grace by trying to understand it with your brain. You want to experience God's grace by by reconciling it and and wrapping your head around it logically. And I, I hate to tell you this. This is the bad news. You're never going to experience grace. You're never going to experience faith until you make a choice to go all in. It's not a logical thing it's not, you're not going to be able to approach God and fully understand him in all of his ways. That's not what trust is anyway. Trust is this moment where I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand my next step, but I know I can trust you and I will choose to do that. You can study it all you want to, but you can't experience grace until you choose to put your trust in Jesus. When you do that, a miracle happens. You'll experience grace. And you go from learning God to experiencing him. It's like as if I offered you something to eat and I was like, this is really delicious. And you turn your nose up at it. And I and we have a conversation. Like, why don't you want to try it? Have you ever had this before? And you're like, no, but I've heard that it's not any good. I I've, I've looked at it. I can see it. I read the description on the menu. That doesn't sound very good. You're never actually going to know until you try it. So refusing to eat something without having ever tried it is nonsense. The Bible actually in this reference, in this idea of tasting something, tasting and seeing, in Psalm 34, 8, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. You're never going to know how good God is until you take a bite. You're never going to understand how good grace is until you take a bite. Grace miracle happens because of what Jesus did for you freely and you having the faith to experience it. Third thing is grace is, here's the A, available to everyone. That's everyone. Listen, I need you to know that Simple Church isn't a church for church people. It never has been. It never will be. It is a church for everyone, okay? That means church people included, but it's not just for you church people. I never wanted to have a clubhouse for Christians. Never wanted it. I don't want it today no matter what condition you're in, no matter what your belief system has been, no matter your background, no matter what trauma you've experienced, no matter whether you, you walk through depression or have a mental illness, or you have a physical illness, or your skin color, or your orientation, I don't care, whatever it is, everyone is welcome here, and grace is available to everyone. I remember early on, when we started our church in the funeral home, that there were people that were coming that were that were in the everyone group, they, they didn't look like Christians they didn't even act like christians they they barely knew Jesus from a bale of hay and they would show up on sunday mornings and um and and after service and before service they were out front smoking and uh, and people people at my church were throwing the evil eye on them they were just like hmm there's people outside smoking and I'm like oh they're, they're just outside the door smoking right and they're like mm-hmm, they're just outside smoking I just can't you know it's the smoking section I just can't believe they're here and I was just like you know what uh, they're like, do you want me to go out and hide the ashtray? And I was like, no, 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 no. They're just outside the door because the ashtrays, they're just moving over to the left. Like, like everybody's welcome here. I'm glad they're here. I don't want them to feel unwelcome. I don't want to go hide the ashtray. And and people were so surprised Like, you're fine with there being a smoking infection out front. Yes, I am. Yeah, absolutely. Simple Church needs to be a place where we welcome all who will come. If you're in the campus, come on, give me an amen. Somebody. Shout it. Let us know you're on board. This is who we are as a church. Jesus accepted everyone. He accepted everyone. In John 8, the greatest example of this is there is a woman brought to him who was caught in the throes of passion of adultery. And She was thrown before Jesus and they were like, we're supposed to stone her. We're supposed to kill her. Throw stones at her and kill her until she's dead. And Jesus, Jesus said, "Whoever's ca- without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. And everybody, one by one, disappears. And he looks at, her, at the woman. When all the accusers are gone, he asks, he says, what happened to them? And she said, "Ah, they're gone, Lord. He said, and neither do I accuse you. She had been caught in the worst moment of her life, in the middle of sin. And Jesus said, I don't accuse you either. But that's grace. He welcomes everyone. But watch what Jesus did. You can read the story in John 8 yourself. He accepted her where she was but he didn't leave her that way. He said, go and sin no more, because that's who Jesus was. He was full of grace and truth, but he gave her grace first, everybody. Grace is available to everyone, no exceptions at all. You know, the, back in the funeral home days, another story from that time, I remember that there was a there was a man and his wife who came to our church and he was really upset because we had a homosexual couple That was there on Sunday morning, and I remember that couple. They were they're beautiful people, and I remember every Sunday, they were there at church and they had their hands raised and tears streaming down their face. And this man who had been a Christian for a long time sat there during service with his arms crossed like this, just mad and angry, casting an evil eye on him. Just and and he wrote me a very long email and said, "Well, I just can't worship while they're here because you've got those sinners there." I said, brother, you best find another church because they're welcome. His response, so simple, church is a gay affirming church. Listen, we don't affirm anything that the Bible calls sin. What I will affirm every day of my life is that what Romans 10:13 says is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's everyone. No one is left out of God's grace. Everyone belongs. No more evil eyeing people. Amen everybody. Let them Come. Grace is a gift. It is experienced by faith, and it is for everyone. And the fourth thing you need to know about grace is that grace comes only through Christ. Grace comes only through Christ. Let me say it to you this way Christianity is not exclusive, it's just very specific. It does not seek to keep people out, it shows them the way in. Jesus is the way. See, no other religion's God ever dealt with the problem of sin, but Christianity did. When God sent his son Jesus, Jesus dealt with the problem of sin. Other religions may offer you the opportunity that, well, maybe if you're good enough, if you do good all of your life, then maybe, you know, through reincarnation, you'll be born in a better state in life. And if not, well, then there's this punishment. You never really know where you stand with the lowercase g God. You never know where you stand with with your religion because you're just doing everything you can to get to God or to become more godly. But, But Christianity... That's not what it's about. Jesus gets sent by God, the Father, to deal with the problem of sin. And there's no if ands, or buts about it. There's no maybes. There's no question. The price has been paid. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he himself said, it is finished. It's done, friends. The price has been paid. There's no other God that did that for you. No one else, I don't know if you've checked lately, but no one else is lined up to pay the price for your sins. The only person that's ever stood in that line has been Jesus. It's just been Jesus. John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Romans 5.15 Many people have received God's gift of life by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. John fourteen six. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts four twelve. salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There is no other way. Jesus is the way. Grace is a gift. Grace is received by faith. Grace is available for everyone. And Jesus is the way. Number five, grace is extended throughout eternity. You know, Jesus paid for your sins, not just for your present sins and not just for the sins of yesterday, but for every sin you will ever commit, Jesus paid the price for it. That's what grace does. He's covered it completely, every bit of it, all of humanity for all of time, the price he paid once. Not that he needs to pay it again and again and again, according to the law, the Old Testament law, a priest had to continue to offer a sacrifice. Well, Jesus was our perfect priest and he offered himself and he only had to do it once. John three sixteen says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This grace that we receive is extended throughout eternity, eternity past and eternity future. What that means is that yes, when you leave this earth, you're going to have eternal life with Jesus in heaven and on a new earth. And it also means that you're gonna have a taste of that new life here on earth through a full and fulfilled life. That's what Jesus offers us by grace, my friends. And if you'll receive and experience that grace today, I believe that it changes everything. If you open the gift that you didn't deserve, if you receive the thing that you couldn't on your own earn, it'll change everything. Your heart, your life, all of it will change. That's the miracle of grace because grace by its very nature will not leave us the same. Titus two eleven tells us what grace does for us. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us, grace will teach us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. You know, that's not something you can learn on your own. You can try. You'll be frustrated to do it, but if you receive the free gift of grace that is Jesus, it'll transform you on the inside. You'll be able to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions, you'll be able to live a self- controlled life. You'll be able to be upright and godly in this present age, in this world that is so quickly going to hell in a handbasket. But you must receive grace in order to do that. And here's the last thing that grace will do when it transforms you, the work that it does. Grace is when when what you ought to do becomes what you want to do. Amen, everybody. Let's pray. Father, today I pray that you would allow us to experience the gift of your grace. Let our eyes be open so that we see what Jesus did for us. Give us courage to receive that grace as we step across the line of faith today. I pray today that everybody that is listening to this message will hear and believe and receive your grace today. Let it begin a transforming work on the inside of every single one of us. Now, for those of you that are here today, you'd say, you know, I'm I'm on the other side of that line of faith. I haven't stepped across that. I've already explained the gospel. I've given you the good news. And this is a moment where you can take a step. The Bible says that with your heart you believe and with your mouth confession is made under salvation. So if you're ready to receive and experience the free gift of grace, to receive all that Jesus paid for when he died on that cross and rose from the dead, Today, pray this prayer along with me. Say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to live for you and to tell others about you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And if you pray that prayer today, the Bible says that all of heaven is celebrating. Man, and we are having a party for you as well. Look in the comments section. You'll see people that are celebrating over the decision that you've made today and uh, we just want to celebrate that with you and i just want to tell you today that if you made that decision make the second best decision you can make in this moment and that is to fill out a digital connect card why because you're not meant to do this alone you're not alone anymore in fact you've just you've just inherited a whole spiritual family us and we want to be part of what your next steps are we want to be part of getting you connected with who we are as a church so you can know when we're gathering and where we're gathering so that you can come out and and meet us. I know we're in this online-only environment right now for the time, but a building's coming and in-person gatherings are coming. We wanna meet you. We wanna walk life with you. If you fill out that digital connect card, it gives us the first step towards doing that. So if you'll do that today, you can click on the digital connect card. The description's found in the videos uh, that you're watching. If you're in the online campus, there should be a button being shared in the chat for you to click and say, yes, I'm raising my hand, saying yes to Jesus, but also, I'm giving my life to him today and I'm filling out this Digital Connect card. So if you'll you'll take a moment to do that, we would just appreciate that. As you do that, give you a last few minutes here as we take our offering today. For those of you that have been committed to giving of your tithes and above and beyond through offerings to the Building Fund and to the Bike Fund and to the In This Together Fund, man, we are so thankful for your generosity and all the ways that you are allowing God to grow you Uh, man we just pray pray blessings and heaps and heaps of blessings on you as you do that if you'd like to give today there's ways to give on the screen you can give digitally or by mail soon you'll be able to give in person we just thank you for your faithfulness and your obedience as you follow god as he leads you to give also want to share this that if god is doing something in your life on that digital connect card there's a button that says uh, share my story and if you share what god is doing in your life right now if you've got a testimony you want to share if you've got had a breakthrough in your life Maybe you're taking steps of obedience and you just want somebody to celebrate with that with you. I would love to do that. Fill out that part that says, "my share my story. Uh, click that button, put your information in the comment section there below it. And uh, that comes directly to me. And I would love to respond to you and begin a dialogue about what God is doing and celebrating all that. So take a moment to do that as well. Amen, everybody. All right, well, as we wrap up this week, I wanna let you know that next Sunday, July 18th, we will actually be in-person service. We're gathering in the park at Huber Park, 1520 Davidson Drive. That means uh, at 6 p.m. so that we're gonna be doing it in the evening out of the heat of the morning. Uh, And uh, so uh, there'll be free ice cream, kids stuff going on, baby dedications, baptisms. Uh, If you'd like to participate in all that, I'm pretty sure all that's been shared here in this service. But what that means is there'll be no Sunday morning service on July 18th, we'll just have the evening service. So come and join us, bring a lawn chair and come out and enjoy an evening with us together. Amen, everybody. God bless you. I love you so much. We'll see you right back uh, next week in the park.